Well, good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, just, uh, yeah, I am just so thankful. I just want to say for Seacoast leadership, Pastor Josh, Pastor Greg, can you guys help me in just appreciating them? Just. And I also want to shout out the West Ashley campus. I love pastoring there. It's been just over three years. I love our staff, our incredible dream team. Uh, just, I just am so blessed to get to uh, be at a phenomenal campus. And I'm thankful to be here with y'all today. Uh, but before we go any further, would you guys pray with me? God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for this time. And God, as Pastor Josh said, we don't take lightly that we can gather together here in your presence. And so, Father, you know, I, I, I believe there's not a single person that's here today by accident. And the common denominator amongst all of us is that you are absolutely crazy, head over heels in love with every single one of us. You know every struggle, every, everything this year has held, and everything the future holds. And so, God, in this time, I pray that as only you can, that you would minister uniquely to our hearts, that we, we would that we would walk out of here somehow transformed, better able to represent you to a world that so desperately needs you. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. So there I was on the morning of uh, Friday, January 19th, 2007, and that was the day uh, that I was getting married at the ripe old age of 24. And we had, um, I was alone in the apartment that my soon-to-be wife, Abby, was going to move into. Um, I had, uh, and I think I had kind of been cruising through the engagement, not really realizing what all actually being married would entail. I mean, I was excited, but kind of clueless. Anyway, I'm sure you guys can re relate to that. Um, so I was just, uh, Abby's the detail person. She had been doing the majority of the wedding planning and all that kind of stuff. And that morning, Friday, January 19, 2007, I was there in the apartment and I was like, this woman is about to walk down the aisle and give her life to me and I have no idea what I'm doing. And it just like all sort of hit me all at once. Now, I had met Abby about three and a half years before that at a Seacoast baptism. I was actually getting baptized out at the Isle of Palms uh, and that's the day I met her. So any single people out there, you may want to consider getting baptized. You know, you never, you never know what could happen. So, but, so then uh, we had been together for about three years at that point. And so I didn't grow up with women in the household. My mom passed away when I was, when I was nine. And I didn't grow up with any sisters. So I grew up in a house full of guys. And I didn't, and, and now I was about to live with a woman, and I had no idea what all was, <laughs> was in store for me. But, and I just felt completely overwhelmed. And I just, I don't know, I'm not much of a crier, but I actually was on my knees. It's a little, I, it's a little embarrassing to admit, but I was on my knees that morning praying and, and weeping uncontrollably, to be perfectly frank, <laughs> praying to God that he would show up and making sure that he knew just how out of my league I, that I felt and just that I was going to need him every moment of this journey. And praise God, we're, we're, we're going strong. It's been almost 14 years. We've got three wonderful boys, and I think we got a, a couple of pictures. Those are my, my, my little amigos, and then... Uh, I, yeah, you can clap for him. That's all right. <laughs> and that's Abby and I. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, we're going strong. God has been faithful. I still have a long way to go, but uh, I'm always learning 
But how many of you know what it's like to feel that kind of overwhelmed? Like, not like just a little overwhelmed, like things are tough, but the kind of like deer in the headlights, like, oh gosh, like, <laughs> like, it's, like if God, if you don't come through, this is, this is gonna be really bad. Hands, oh, oh, okay, a lot, a lot of people. Everyone else who didn't raise your hand, um, I'll pray for you at the end of the service for lying. So, so um, but, but we, yeah, we all know, obviously all of us know in varying degrees what it's like to be overwhelmed. I mean, 2020 overall, I mean, there's so much that could be said about this year, but in a word, I'm sure overwhelming would, make, would be one of the words we would all choose to describe this year in so many different respects. Um, I, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that, um, I, like the first day on the job. I mean, maybe the job you have right now or, or a job you had in the past, you remember that first day and you remember sweating bullets, hoping that nobody else around you would realize just how out of your league you felt. Or maybe uh, I know all the parents out there know what it's like to feel overwhelmed. Like that first day when the, the <laughs> I think I saw a hand go up up there. That first day when they, when they actually trust you to take the baby home and, 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 they're, and you, you had all that wonderful care in the hospital and then you get home. Yeah, and, you're, you, know, and you know, for the first kid, your hands are at 10 and two on the wheel. For the second kid, you're a little bit more relaxed and speeding a little. For the third kid, you can't remember if you put him in the car. Um, but, but everyone, but that, that can be overwhelming, raising kids. And then when those kids get to be 16 and you can't believe that that 16-year-old is allowed to get behind the wheel of a car, that's... That's overwhelming. And then even just moving into the holiday season. I mean, that in and of itself. I mean, I know my family is not the only one with some dysfunction in it. I know we all have. Uh, I think the holidays tend to bring up really high highs and also some low lows. You know, the, the different relational conflicts come into play. Maybe for some in here, this is the first, this is gonna be the first Christmas without a loved one. And there's gonna be an empty seat at the table. I think that we can all admit that in varying degrees, life can be really overwhelming. And that's one of the things I love so much about the Bible. I love how real it is. I love how real the heroes of our faith are. Um, specifically, the Apostle Paul. He's someone that comes to mind for me. In the passage of scripture that we're gonna be looking at, we're about to get, I mean, Paul is an incredible figure. I mean, he wrote a significant portion of the New Testament, an amazing man of God, uh, you know, arguably next to Christ himself uh, in terms of influencing Christianity as we know it. I mean, you, you, you could point to him. But we're about, we're about to get a window into his life that may have been the hardest trial that Paul ever went through, at least based on the language that he uses. And I, but I believe that in this passage are some key principles. If we're gonna find a certain, a certain hope in an uncertain world, a certain hope in an uncertain world, I believe that there are some principles in this passage that we can latch on to, given the fact that Paul was in such a dark place. Um, it, you know, and that's what he was describing here. So 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verses eight through 10, it'll be on the screen, or you can read it in, on your Seacoast app. Um, it starts off, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. I mean, first off, we can notice in the passage just how bad it was. I mean, great pressure, far beyond his ability to endure. He despaired even of life, and then goes even a step further to say, indeed, in my heart, I felt the sentence of death. So this is like the, the kind of, like, I mean, he, he, didn't, he was despairing. I mean, this is like the, the, waves, the waves are crashing over the boat. He can't see the lighthouse. It's like, this is bad. I don't have the personal resources to overcome this. But then there's that, um, and, we don't, and, and honestly, scholars aren't sure what caused, uh, what caused the situation. We're not sure uh, what, what situation Paul was in. There's some, con, there's some conjecture, but we're not sure what situation Paul was in. And then it's like, did God cause it? Did he allow it? Either way, um, he was, you know, either way he was in it. And then there's this big change in the passage that Paul, where Paul sees purpose in this incredible time, looking back on it in retrospect. He says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So clearly, at least part of the reason Paul and his companions were going through this trial is because they had this they knew Jesus, but there was a part of them that was still relying on themselves. And so in order to do heart surgery and perform character transformation, obviously Paul had to go through this dark season to know where all of his hope needed to be. Because he comes out of that, that, uh, but that sentence and says, he has delivered us. He has, not me, not my friends. He has, Jesus has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again on him, not on anything else, not on my resources, not on my intellect, not on my money, not on anything. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And you certainly get the sense in the passage that on the other side of it, Paul was a different man. That Paul went into this circumstance maybe with a struggle with relying on himself, but in this in this time of trouble, learn to rely on God to where coming out of it, he knew, listen, my hope, I, I, I was in a situation where I couldn't pull myself up. I couldn't just pull myself up by my bootstraps. I couldn't do it. And God still somehow delivered me from, from there to here. And I'm standing on the rock right now based on the fact that God delivered me. And so if he can do that when I'm in that kind of a dark situation, how much more so is he gonna take care of the future? So Paul came out of this a different person. And then we can also take note of the vulnerability that Paul shows in sharing this. I mean, you, he's not just writing a letter to his friends, he's writing this to a church that he intends to influence. I mean, you could do a whole separate leadership lesson on that. I mean, he's, he's, he, he, he could have said, hey, we went through some tough stuff in Asia, it was a little hard, but, it, but we made it through. But Paul really goes out of his way to say, hey, listen, guys, like, I know you know me as Paul the Apostle. You know, who, that you, know, you know the miracles that God's performed through me. You know the teaching that I've done. You know my, Paul easily could have been a very intimidating guy, but he says, listen, we were in a struggle where we didn't know if we we're gonna make it. And our God came through. And that gives us a good, not only does that show, give us a good tip on leadership, but it also shows us how to encourage others. You know, that when we have stories that highlight our weakness and God's faithfulness, that that's how we testify to the gospel. So if we're gonna find a, if we're gonna find a certain hope in an uncertain world, um, if it, I, there, there are a few principles here that we, that we can really glean from this passage. So if we're gonna find a certain hope in an uncertain world, the first thing we need to know is God will not give us, 
God will not give us more than he can handle. God will not give us more than he can handle. I, how, many of you, how, many, how many of you have ever had somebody tell you, God won't give you more than you can handle? Anyone heard, heard that one before? They were lying to you. <laughs> in this passage, probably with good, good intention, but in this passage, Paul is so clear that, hey, we couldn't handle this. Now, I know Philippians 4.13, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and that's a different point entirely. But what we have to recognize here is we have to recognize our human limitations. I think that if you had gone up to Paul when he was in great pressure, far beyond his ability to endure, and said, hey, buddy, it's gonna be okay. God won't give you more than you can handle. I think he would have straight up slapped you in the face if you had said that to Paul in the midst of this struggle. And it makes me think of a quote from pastor and author Mark Batterson, where he said, everyone wants a miracle, but no one wants to be in an impossible situation that necessitates one. I mean, I think that bears true throughout scripture that if you go back to and studied miracles throughout the Bible, you would see that the majority, if not all of the miracles were done after some pretty dark circumstances. And generally speaking, the greater the miracle, the worse the circumstances that preceded it. So um, now, why does God give us more than we can handle? If we can, if we can get our heads around that idea, why does God either allow us to be in situations that are more than we, than we can handle, or why does He put us in situations that are beyond what we can handle? I think the simple answer. There's probably a lot of reasons, but one is to simply so that we would learn to trust Him. That he doesn't want to be our backup plan, our Hail Mary when, you know, when the chips are down and things aren't working out. That he wants all of our hope. Just as Paul says in the passage, he wants all of our hope to be set on him. And so if we're going to learn that, when we get into, you know, you're either coming out of a storm, you're either in a storm or going into one. So, I mean, the, the storms are going to happen. And when we're in a situation that's bigger than what we can handle, we need to learn to say two words that I think most of us probably don't like to say, and they're the words, I can't. I can't. I don't know if I'm the only one in here, but I hate saying I can't. Does anyone relate to that? I just hate saying I can't. I mean, seriously, like I do not like saying I can't do something. If if you were to come up to me and ask me if I could dunk a basketball, um, which you you might assume I could do based on my height and hulking physique. You, would, you might assume that I could dunk a basketball. But if you were to ask me if I could do that, I, of course, would say no. I'm five foot seven and terrible at basketball. But there would still be, even though I can barely grab the net, there would still be some part of me that would think that, you know what? You give me a few months, the right pair of shoes, maybe some training, and I bet I could dunk a basketball. Because I hate saying I can't. And I think saying we can't feels, feels difficult. But if we're going to experience, if we're going to, if we're going to find God in impossible situations, and if we're going to certain hope in an uncertain world, we need to be able to say, I can't when something is greater than us. Because that, uh, when we say that we can't do something, God, I can't do this without you, then we're put, we're in a position where we can reach out to him. But for as long as we think we can handle it, as long as we think, you know, that our strength, that our intellect, that our resources are enough, then we'll never reach out to God in the, in the way that he's calling us to. 
So we need to recognize that God won't give us any more than he can handle. So, and, and that's, a, and that's a, an important truth that we know that there's never a situation that has happened, is happening, or that will happen that God can't, that God's not bigger than. And that we can have the same confidence that Paul displays in this passage. So we need to know that God won't give us any more than, than he can handle. Secondly, we need to know that we all have pain, but that we don't all talk about it. We all have pain, but we don't all talk about it. Paul is showing us in this passage how community is built. He is showing us what it looks like to be vulnerable when, when he didn't have to. We impress others with our strengths, but we connect with them through our weaknesses. You know, that's one of the things I love about this church is that it's okay not to be okay. If you were perfect when you came in here, you upset the whole balance of the room because there's nobody perfect in here. So it's so important that we recognize that we all have pain, but we don't all talk about it. I mean, Paul here is not, not only was, was Paul with people, and I'm sure that helped him navigate the difficult trial that he was in, but he's also writing to the Corinthians and sharing his weakness. And in doing that, he's, it, he's inviting others to, um, he's inviting others into the situation that he was in, and he's inviting others to be a part of his story, which Christianity is a team sport. Uh, and, and honestly, this is what Seacoast is all about and what it's meant in my life. I mean, I, uh, I, I've been a part of this church for 18 years, and I can't tell you the number of times that I've gone to, into one of the pastor's offices or been, uh, been meeting in a small group, and, just, and, and one of you has prayed for me at the right time. In fact, right now, I'm in three small groups, which may mean, I, I don't know if that makes me like a small group junkie. I thought before, what if they put me in a, what if I was in a small, a support group to get over being in a small group? But that would defeat the purpose because then I'd be in another small group. But no, they're, they're, just, they're just that important. They're just that important to me. To, uh, small, groups are, small groups are about doing life together. And so, you know, for some of you today, the, the next step may be texting the word connect to 320-320 and, and deciding that you're gonna be in a group. And not just that you're gonna be in one, but that you're gonna be willing to talk about the pain. You're gonna be willing. Church should never be a place where we just show up on Sunday and just pretend. You know, intimacy, I've, I've heard it said before, it sounds like into me see. And as we share our pain with one another, we allow others to be a part of our story, and that's going to help us to find hope. That's going to help us to hold on to hope, a certain, kind of, a certain hope in an uncertain world. We need to be willing to talk about our pain and be, and be vulnerable. And then also, just like Paul was doing here with the Corinthians, some of you have incredible testimonies of God delivering you. And even though they, those, those stories highlight uh, your weaknesses, they also show off God's incredible strength, which is what Paul is doing here. He's saying, hey, guys, we didn't have it figured out, but look at how incredible God is. I mean, that's the essence of a testimony and why the Bible says that we overcame the evil one, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So we need to learn to be able to share these stories. And Paul is modeling that for us right here. So to find a certain hope in an uncertain world, we need to know that God won't give us more than he can handle that we all have pain, but we don't all talk about it, and we have to reverse that trend, and then we need to know that hope grows as self-reliance dies. Hope grows as self-reliance dies. I mean, this is really the crux of the passage. 
We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That self-reliance is just a really easy way of life to fall into. You know, I, I can tell you guys that in walking with Christ for about 20 years, I, I, I've known the gospel, the, you know, the whole time that, that God gives us forgiveness and that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west, that God loves you and that there is no hostility between you and God anymore. But there was just some part of me that felt like I, like I needed to almost impress God. Like every day, I don't know how many of y'all can relate with this, but there was just some part of me that felt like Christianity was kind of like a performance deal. That if there was a day like today where I was speaking or a day when I was serving or had been just an incredible husband and doing all the right, doing all the right stuff, I would think God must be really happy with me today, you know, when I put my head on the pillow. But if, but, but on a day when I might say something, you know, dumb to Abby, which it does happen from time to time, or a day when I'm in a bad mood or whatever, if you were to ask me in that moment, hey, Chris, how do you think God feels about you right now? I would say, if I was being honest with you, I would say, man, I think he's kind of, I think he's frustrated. I think he's frustrated with me. Like there was some part of me that felt like God was up in heaven, just like, I don't know what we're going to do with Russo. I mean, I don't know, angels, I mean, Michael, Gabriel, can, can, someone, can someone help me? I just, I keep trying with this guy and he just can't seem to get it right. And, that, and there was a part of me that felt like that's how it worked. I knew deep down that wasn't the way that it worked, but there were, it, it just kind of felt that way. So I actually found myself in a counselor's office several months ago where I was just expressing that kind of exasperation where I was like, man, like, I just feel like I'm never going to get there. I felt like there was this standard almost in my head that if I could just attain to, that then, then everything would, would, be, would be great between God and I, and we'd have this incredible relationship. And I was just expressing to this counselor, I don't think I'm ever going to get there. And I took a moment to pray in this, in this meeting, and I, I kid you not, I almost audibly, I felt like I audibly heard the voice of God in my, in my head say, I'm not frustrated with you. And in saying, I'm not frustrating with you, it was like he was saying, Chris, we're good. Like, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I'm proud of you. I delight in you. Your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Like, we're good in the moments when you say dumb stuff to Abby and in the moments when you don't, in the moments when you're scared, when you're messing up, when, whether you're baptizing or you're running late for a meeting, all that time. Now, do it. Do I want to continue to mold and shape you? Absolutely. But as far as my, being my son, I, you are fully, completely accepted. I love the way that a famous uh, preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said it. He, he summed up the gospel so simply by saying that Christ stood before God as if he were us so that we could stand before God as if we were him. I love that Christ stood before God as if he were us so that we could stand before God as if we were him, as if we were Christ himself. So that means for every one of you that has received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, like you are, you are working from favor, not for it. You are working from acceptance, not for it. You are fully accepted and God is just pleased with you. 
not because of anything that you bring to the table, but just because he loves you that much. And what he did on the cross was that powerful. And that's just something that, that, that I think we're, we can never fully wrap our mind around, but that's really the heart of this passage. I mean, when you think about it, Paul's saying, okay, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. We despaired of life. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. That the way that we learn to rely on God and the way that self-reliance dies is the more that we realize that we're God's beloved sons and daughters, the more we realize that it's unthinkable that the creator of the universe wouldn't take care of us. We realize that it's unthinkable that he wouldn't come through for us. It's unthinkable that he would leave us stranded. It's unthinkable that he would just leave us high and dry, especially in our most desperate time of need. And that because he's God and because he created the galaxies and the stars, that he has every ability in heaven and on earth to deliver us from any situation. And we can know he has our back every single moment. So... That's, that's the heart of this passage. So to find a certain hope in an uncertain world, we need to know that God will not give us any more than he can handle. So in, and in that, it's okay to say, listen, I can't do this on my own. I can't lead my family on my own. I can't raise these kids on my own. I can't, I can't do what you're calling me to do on my own. But God, with you, with you, I, 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 can, I can move mountains. With you, I can do anything. And it's okay to recognize our weaknesses. It's okay to say, listen, I can't do this alone. Like, that, like that's a healthy place to be in. We need to recognize that we all have pain, but we don't all talk about it. And if we're gonna find, if we're gonna find a certain hope in an uncertain world, other people are gonna be a part of that. And it's gonna happen through us being willing to take aside the mask and say, this is, this is the pain that I experience. And we're not going to do that with everybody, but as Pastor Greg talked about last weekend, we need to sit at tables with people who aren't impressed with us, people that we can be real and vulnerable with, and that we're, 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 it's safe for us to say, listen, I'm struggling. I'm going through a tough time. You know, even if that, they're not going to have all the answers, but it's so important that we sit at that table. And we need to know that hope grows as self-reliance dies. So maybe today you're in the spot that Paul was in, where when you, hear the, when you hear great pressure far beyond his ability to endure, where he despaired even of life, indeed in his heart he felt the sentence of death, you hear that and you're like, man, in some area of my life, that's me. In some area of my life, like that's, that's how it feels. It feels like this mental illness. It feels like this struggle. It feels like this relationship. It feels like this issue can never go away. And if I'm being honest, I feel like I'm pressed beyond what I can possibly bear. And it's one of those deals that, God, if you don't come through, the story ends right here. Some of you relate with Paul in that. And you need to hear the second part of the passage over and over. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I don't know if you know this, but dead, can't, dead people can't offer a whole lot towards the healing. They're dead. <laughs> and so God can take a situation, a relationship, a struggle, an area that you're dealing with, and he, can and he is the God of resurrection. He can bring it to life. And that's what you, maybe what you need to hear today. For some of you, you're living on an island 
And if you want to find a certain hope in an uncertain world, you need to take a step towards community. You're texting Connect to 32320. You're sitting down with that person and having coffee and having a vulnerable conversation. You're choosing not to stiff arm everybody and deciding that, you, that people are going to get to know the real you. And that takes courage. Because fear is what prompts us to kind of keep people at arm's distance and, and, and present the, 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 clever, the cleverly manicured mask. But it takes courage to say, like, listen, like, I don't know if you think this is weird. I don't know if you're going to accept me. But this is some of the pain that I'm going, to, that I'm going through. Or maybe you relate to my story where, you, there, there was, where you, you just, if I were to ask you right now, how do you picture God looks at you? Like, what, like if you were to picture his face towards you right now, you know, what would you picture? I know for me, like I shared with you guys for, for a long time, it, I just pictured kind of a sort of a look like that. And, and maybe today you, what you just need to be either reassured of, or maybe you need to be told for the first time is that God is so pleased with you that he's smiling when he looks at you that he delights in you, that you're the apple of his eye, and you just need to remember that he sees you. Remember the miracle of the fact that he sees you the same way he sees his perfect son, even in the moments, especially in the moments when you're, when you're messing up, when you're doing the wrong thing, that because of your identity in Christ, that he sees you the same way he sees his perfect son. This, this passage has been so powerful to me throughout my life because it's like, you know, it's one thing, you know, sometimes life can be a little overwhelming. Like, and, and when it's a little overwhelming, just I need a little boost. I, you know, I could use an encouraging word. But what do you do in the situations where life just seems to flatten you and you just are like, I don't know what's going to happen now. You know, when the bottom just seems to fall out. And this is that passage that says that no matter how far it goes, no matter how far you fall, no matter how many pieces your life seems to, to fall into, and no matter how clueless you may feel when it comes to how to fix it, that we can turn to the God who takes dead things and makes them come alive. So with that being said, I, I'd love to, I, I want to pray for us, but I want to specifically pray for those who would say, like, when you hear those descriptors, great pressure, far beyond my ability to endure, sparing of life, like, when you hear those, um, and why don't you guys bow your heads with me. When you hear those descriptors, there may be some in the room right now that would say that, that that's them. And if, that, and if that's you right now, um, why don't you just slip a hand up? I'd love to pray for you. Yeah. When you hear great pressure far beyond my ability to endure so that I despair it even of life. But like there, there's a part of you that resonates with that. Awesome. Well, I, I want to I pray, pray for you guys and just pray for all of us that we, would receive, that we would be able to find a certain hope in an uncertain world. God, I just thank you so much for your faithfulness. And thank you, God, that no matter how far gone we are, no matter how great the issues seem, no, no matter how complex or difficult the problem, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are bigger and stronger and greater than anything that we could ever face. And that us plus you equals a majority. God, that, we're not, that, that even if we lack resources, even if we lack the finances, God, that you are the God of the impossible and we can turn to you for everything. 
So as we take this time and respond to you in worship, I pray that you would lead us in Christ's name. Amen.